pray and um and then i'm gonna share a word with you so father i just thank you i thank you for the work that you did in my heart while i was preparing this message that you're continuing to do and lord i ask that each person in this room anyone listening lord that they would have an encounter with you as a result, whether it's because of my words or in spite of my words, we just open our hearts and we invite you to be here, to be speaking with us, to be revealing our hearts to us. Just thank you for your goodness, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so when I was preparing my message, I had a different topic originally in mind, and it was a good one, (laughs) right? It was from some things the Lord had been speaking to me coming into the new year, Um, but it was very short, and so as I sat down to kind of prepare and flesh it out a little, um, lo and behold, the Lord brought me in a completely different direction, and I resisted that at first, because I felt comfortable with my first message. (laughs) Um, But what happened in the process is that the Lord began speaking to me about something. And as he was doing so, I felt him washing my feet. (laughs) And so the goal this morning is that you would have an experience like that. You know, we go through the world and we pick up dust. Like, obviously, this is a picture of what Jesus did for the disciples at at the Last Supper, right, where he washed their feet. But Peter, you know, says, hey, then wash all of me, Lord. And he says, you don't need to be all washed. You just need your feet washed, right? And this is what it's like as a Christian, is that you're clean because the Lord's spoken to you. He's redeemed you. He's done work in your life that has eternal value that cannot be taken away right? But you walk through the world and you get dusty. It just happens to all of us. And what I think happens as you get dusty, you know, maybe it's you're picking up worries and concerns. Maybe you're just distracted. Maybe you're getting tired. Maybe there's tragedy or trouble that comes. But I think that as we get dusty, we don't realize it, but that dust creates a hardened shell around our hearts. And the Lord doesn't want us to have anything that would separate us from him, right? (laughs) He did everything possible so that we would not be separated from him, right? So he isn't the one who separates himself. But sometimes I think we get this like hardened shell on our hearts and we don't even realize it because it just happens gradually because there's no great sin issue, there's no great thing that has caused you to retreat from the Lord, you just get dusty. And so the Lord showed me as he began speaking to me, he began washing my feet and I realized that my heart had been hard. Not completely hard, (laughs) 
You know, I was still spending time with him. I was still serving him. I was still doing my best to walk with him every day. But there was a tenderness in my heart that was missing. And so this morning, I want to share with you, but I want you to know that the goal isn't conviction. The goal is to encourage, you know, and and maybe some conviction will come along the way. (laughs) But the point is not to retreat from it, but to allow the Lord access so that he can wash your feet and he can make your heart tender and you can come into a new encounter with him. Does that sound good? All right. All right, so I'm going to read Luke 24. I'm going to read um, quite a bit of it. I'm going to start in verse 1. And this is right after the crucifixion is where we're picking up the story. So it says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. This was a group of women. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran away, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Okay, this is just mind-blowing to me because they're telling him, they're telling the apostles what happened, but they don't understand. The words appear as nonsense. Have any of you ever had an encounter with the Lord and you try to explain it to somebody and your words appear as nonsense? (laughs) That may be what happens this morning. We'll just see. But (laughs) you can be comforted because you're in good company, right? So the words appear as nonsense. All right, behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Can you imagine later realizing you said that to Jesus? (laughs) By the way, are you the only one? How do you not know? And he said to them, what things? And they said, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. That's pretty remarkable. I'm not going to go into it, but I think it's not a coincidence that they recognized him when he was breaking the bread. But as soon as they realize who he is, he vanishes. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road and how he, recognized, he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, so here we have these disciples who knew Jesus, who had walked with Jesus. Scripture tells us that before he died, Jesus said to them what was going to happen. He told them that he was going to die. We have this group of women who had been at the tomb and had this encounter with the angel, right, and said, hey, he's alive. Why are you seeking one who's alive here in the tomb? And they go and they tell the disciples what happened, and still they don't get it. <laughs> they don't understand. Finally, they recognize Jesus, and when they do, I think it's quite telling that they said to one another in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking. Like they didn't say, oh, we should have understood because of what Jesus told us before this happened. They didn't say, you know, we should have gotten it when the women came and reported to us what they saw, what they experienced. For that matter, they didn't say, you know, Moses and the prophets and, you know, our history, all of us should have prepared us and told us this. Instead, they say, Shouldn't we have known because weren't our hearts burning? Weren't our hearts burning? Shouldn't we have known? And I have a question for you this morning, and it's the same one that I've been asking myself that I think the Lord has been asking me, and it is, is your heart burning? When is the last time that you felt your heart burn? And what is it burning for? You know, notice what Jesus said to the men. He says, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe. You know, foolish men, that's another way of saying thick-headed. <laughs> They're slow of heart to believe. It's 
that they are slow of heart, not just to understand mentally something, but to commit to something, to trust it, to put their faith in something. You know, this being thick-headed in this way, it goes hand in hand with being unwilling to commit. And it isn't the result of a capacity problem. Like, it isn't that they're not able to understand. It's that you're not willing to understand. <laughs> you are slow to have faith in a meaningful way. I have been <laughs> slow to have faith in a meaningful way. Why? Because I have expectations that go over here, and the Lord seems to be speaking over here, and I don't understand because I'm so confident in what I know. Right? Or maybe something happens and it completely tilts my world upside down. And I know it's not what was going to happen. I just knew something else was going to happen. And then I have a hard time changing my mind and coming to faith because I've been thick-headed and slow of heart because I had expectations. I had anticipation. I had faith in something else. You know, I... Jesus could not have done more, by the way, before he died to explain what was going to happen. In Mark 8, it says this, Mark 8, 31 and 32, and he, and it's talking about Jesus. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. Like, the problem wasn't that Jesus didn't speak clearly. He was not the problem. Do you know that the problem isn't that Jesus isn't speaking clearly to you? That is not the problem. By the way, in that passage, and we're not going to go into it, but right after that is when Jesus is rebuked by Peter, right? Because Peter's so confident that he knows what's supposed to happen, <laughs> right? The problem isn't Jesus, the problem was the expectations and hopes of the disciples' hearts because they had set their life course towards something because they knew who the Messiah was supposed to be and what he was going to do. And so even when they're walking with Jesus and they know that he's the Messiah and he begins to speak plainly about what's going to happen, they are unable to hear because they have a heart that they're wrestling with. They had to choose to believe what Jesus said over their hopes and expectations. And so do we. We are responsible for the condition of our heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. This is telling us that we need to guard our hearts. But not just that, that we need to pay attention to it that we have to actually know the condition of it. Because it's really easy to not be in touch with your own heart. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. We get busy. We get distracted. There are so many things that can soothe a troubled heart <laughs> so we don't have to look at it or deal with it, so we don't have to try to figure out what Jesus is saying or what we're supposed to do as a result. You know, we have a culture that's full of distractions. I love distractions. They're comforting, right? <laughs> they're comforting, they're soothing, and it's good to be able to have some comfort in your life, right? But not at the expense of the condition of your heart. 
Proverbs 27:19 says, "As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man." Your heart, your inner life is what reflects who you actually are. Much more than anything outside of you. This is why we have to pay attention to the condition of our heart. Because it's really easy to make the outside look different than the inside. But that matters for nothing because nothing about the outside actually determines who we are. It's when we become something on the inside and it transforms the outside. <laughs> That's what Jesus is after. That's what tells who we actually are. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked before, but in a different way. What is the condition of your heart? What does your heart tell you about who you are? And does it match who you want to be? Does it match who God created you to be? What is it that you burn for? I'm not asking you to be hard on yourself, by the way, but I want to wash your feet just like Jesus has been washing mine. And I want to remind you to stoke the fire so that your heart burns. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> See, I should just always preach in this direction. No offense to the rest of you, but. <laughs> All right. I'm a football fan. I'm not. Thank you. I am um, not going to go, you know, into details about teams or anything like that. I actually work really hard to find at least one person on every team in the NFL that I'm cheering for um, because I want to feel good about whatever team that wins and I want to stay engaged and I think that's what Jesus would do, but I won't go into it anymore. But so, so I have at least one person on every team that I cheer for. Um, but this is the thing. <laughs> I am a football fan for several reasons, but one of them is because as sports seasons go, it's relatively short. And by the end of every season, no matter how my team has done or not, although sometimes it's easier to stay engaged longer, <laughs> um, but by the end of every season like this point today, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home and watch the games but I'm going to be like, let's just get this over with. Let's just find out who wins. The season has gone on long enough. I have other things to do with my life, right? I don't know if any of you are like that. Right? But I have a limited capacity to be a fan. I have a limited time capacity, but it isn't even just time. It's that my passion wanes, right? I have a limited amount of care that I'm willing to put towards it. This is why um, I have a daughter who will remain nameless, but her name starts with R and she dances. So some of you might know who I'm talking about. And I did ask for permission to share this, but um, she loves music. I love music. Um, but she has a particular uh, artist that she's a fan of that is going to be coming in concert. And... Um, yeah, she just went to her first concert like last year and all of a sudden she has like 47 lined up. I don't know. Um, she's taking odd jobs for money just to pay for her concert tickets if you guys have any to throw her way. But anyway, um, this particular artist, it took, I don't know, I don't want to exaggerate, but something like 47 hours of waiting online 
ticket tickets. Okay, I obviously exaggerated. But it was an all-day thing. Um, you may have heard about it in the news. People got mad at Ticketmaster as a result. But she hung in there until she got tickets. I, yeah, you guys can be excited for her. <laughs> Some of you will be more excited than others. Some of you did the same thing that she did. But anyway, <laughs> I would have given up, right? My passion, I can't think of an artist that my passion burns hot enough for that I would have spent a day of my life sitting at the computer in a virtual line trying to get tickets, right? Like, my passion isn't burning that hot. And the thing is, we all have areas like this in our life where we're committed somewhat if it's easy. If it fits. If it doesn't require too much from us. But I'm going to tell you that that may be okay in your hobbies, but that's not okay when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. <laughs> it's not just supposed to be a passion that runs its course. It's supposed to be something that you tend, that you make sure the fire continues to burn. Right? <laughs> yeah, Paul tells Timothy to fan the spiritual gift he's been given into flame. That's not going to happen accidentally. That's an intentional thing. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to actually be intentional about our heart. We're supposed to be paying attention and making sure that it is burning and that it is burning for the right things. You know, it's supposed to burn for Jesus. <laughs> I also want to tell you, I've been married for 25 years, and my heart burned hotter for my husband today than it did when we first got married. That is, that's because we've tended the fire. It's not because it accidentally happened. It's because we've gone through the work, we've put in the effort, we've gone through the pain, and we've been able to come out to this point with a fire that is hot because we've been tending it. And we're going to continue to. So when we've been married for 50 years and beyond, I'll be able to say the same thing. But it's not going to happen accidentally. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> I want to reassure you that a slow burn can still be hot. <laughs> and I'm saying this because, you know, we all have seasons in our life when we have this encounter with Jesus and our life, or, you know, maybe it's a season where we're, just free of obligation. And so we're able to pursue him completely 100% of the time. We can do mission trips. We're serving him. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then something happens because we begin to have time that's obligated to our marriage, to our kids, to our career. It's possible to still burn hot for Jesus no matter what season you're in <laughs> because a slow burn can still be hot. If you don't believe me, you can ask my kids because this was several years ago now, but I like to make curries. I'm not super gifted at it, but I've been working and trying to get better at it. I have some recipes I really like for some Thai curries and some Indian curries. And I made this one one time. It was an Indian curry. And as we were eating it, everybody was going, oh, I really like this. And like four bites into it, all of a sudden the spice came. 
You know, it was like a slow burn. <laughs> it wasn't immediate. And so everyone's like gobbling it up. And all of a sudden, especially <laughs> like our younger kids, all of a sudden people were going, ah, uh, <laughs> they're grabbing their drinks, you know, and just like guzzling it and looking for like milk. What can we do? How do we get rid of this like intense burning in our mouth? I've learned a few things since then. Thank you. <laughs> But it caught us by surprise because it wasn't immediately evident, but it was a slow burn that was hot. And do you know that a slow, hot burning for the Lord is still a consuming fire? That it might look small, but as long as you tend it and make sure the heat is increasing, <laughs> that it is going to accomplish all that it's supposed to accomplish. <laughs> you can just ask Moses. Exodus 3, 1 through 6 says this, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the fire was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why the bush has not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said also, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. All right, let's back up a little bit and just catch up on the life of Moses in case it's been a while and you've forgotten. But Moses was a boy, a Hebrew boy. He was born into slavery. But not only that, he was born with a death sentence on his head because the Pharaoh at the time had determined that all boy, all Hebrew boys that are born should be killed. Um, but Moses was not killed through a miraculous turn of events. He not only survives, but he's raised in the palace. So he spends the first 40 years of his life um, raised, living in the palace. But when he's 40 years old, something happened, right? He goes out from his palace, from his normal life at that time. He goes out and he witnesses. The Bible says that he took in the condition of his people, the other Hebrews. So he witnesses what life is like for them. He sees their hard labor. He sees the way that they are being treated. And as he is taking this in, he saw a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian. And as he witnesses that, something rises up in him, and he goes and he kills the Egyptian. And then he, he hides it. He thinks the matter is hidden. <laughs> and it turns out that it wasn't. And so this epic moment... Obviously, terrible moment, but epic, um, becomes actually not a moment of victory for him, but it becomes a moment where he ends up fleeing for his life. He goes out in the desert, and he spends the next 40 years. He, you know, he gets married. He has kids. He's a shepherd in the desert, right? And this is where we're at in the passage that I read. Now, the thing about Moses is I think that when he witnessed the Hebrew being beaten by the Egyptian, when he was taken in the condition of the Hebrew people, I think there was something in his heart that was burning. I think it's when he first learned 
something about what he was made for, right? He takes it in, and I'm obviously reading in between the lines a little bit, but I feel like he takes it in, he sees the scene, and something in him begins to burn, and he reacts, and he, act, he does this action, and I think he thinks it's going to lead to something good, right? He's discovering what he's made for. Maybe he's putting himself in his mind in the position of somebody who's going to come, and he's going to be able to make changes for his people, but instead, he ends up fleeing for his life. You know, the Hebrews don't rally to him. The Pharaoh wanted him dead. And his life drastically changes. You know, and he goes into a pretty nondescript, normal life. Maybe not normal for someone who was raised in a palace, but normal in that time. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a shepherd. And his life just goes on for 40 years. Then comes the day he turns aside. And here is the thing. It's not just that a bush was burning. I feel like if I saw a bush burning, I would notice that. Right? Like, hopefully you guys would do, okay? That's not a common occurrence, especially with all the snow and the temperature and whatnot. If a bush is burning, investigate. Find out what's going on, okay? But Moses, he would have seen bushes burning, the thing that was different about this bush is that it wasn't consumed as it burned. So he had to turn aside. He had to notice. And he had to turn aside. And I think, and again, I'm reading between the lines, but I think Moses' heart still burned. I think he's going about his life. And he is a shepherd, and he's a dad, and he's a husband. But I think there's something inside him that knows that he was created for something else. I think there's something inside him that's still burning to experience more of what he was created for. And so I think he sees the bush and sees it not being consumed, and there's still just a little something in his heart. I think the Lord is there, and Moses' heart burns just a little. And so he turns aside, and because he turns aside, he encounters the Lord and everything changes. And it isn't just for Moses that everything changes. It's for an entire nation of people, by the way. A burning heart is one that notices heavenly invitations. It's one that will look away from daily life because there's just the smallest little nudge in your heart. So you're going about your day, and you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you're connected to the Lord. You have a fire in your heart, and so when there is the Lord over here, it pings, right? <laughs> the fire in your heart, like you go, oh, there's something. I don't know what it is, but there's something. And so you turn aside, and you don't realize that as you turn aside, you're about to encounter the living God. That's what happens when you keep your heart burning, you know, recently I've been listening to Brownsville um, music that came out of the Brownsville Revival. When Jamie and I were first married, he was stationed in Mississippi. Um, and so he was there for an entire year. I wasn't there for as long. But I got to spend several months where we would drive several times a week to the Brownsville Revival that was happening at the time. And it was intense. 
It was intense worship. It was an intense encounter with the Lord. The presence of the Lord was thick. Um, you know, Jamie had some really intense encounters. Mine tended to look differently, but what I remember the most about that time is a sense of awe and wonder that came over me. I was acutely aware that God is present, that he's here, that he's not far away, but that he's actually here, that he's encountering us. I was acutely aware that anything is possible. I saw as people would come to the altars in Brownsville, people I knew. You know, I saw a young man who was in the military with us, and, and he came just because we invited us, just because he was our friend, and also, I think, because he got to go to Pensacola Beach, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but he came, and at the end of the service, you know, he's not a young man that's walking with the Lord, but at the end of the service, he comes up to the altar, and they pray for him, or maybe even before anybody prayed for him, the details are kind of fuzzy, but he just went down on the ground. He was just out. It was the first time anybody, I had seen anybody I know have that kind of experience. This was my first time at Brownsville. But he's just out for the rest of the service. He's just like laying there, and then we are all done. <laughs> he's still out, you know, and I'm like, do we worry? <laughs> You know, like, I don't know the protocol here. But what turns out to happen, he shares with us afterwards, is that when he was young, he had been a part of a church. And he had been abused by the youth pastor. And he had vowed that he would never have anything to do with church or the Lord again. And he came into Brownsville. And the Lord encountered him and healed him and set him free from the baggage, right? And that's just one of many testimonies. But the point is, is that I saw these things happening. I felt the Lord encountering me in my life, and it created not just when I was at Brownsville, but even as I was away from it, it created this sense of awe and wonder about the presence of the Lord. It made me hungry to encounter him. It made me hungry. You don't come into the presence of the Lord and get satisfied. Like... You get satisfied by God, but what I mean is you don't walk away then and go, okay, well, I'm back to normal life. I'm good. You know, I encountered him that one time. Like, that's enough. No, you come into the presence of the Lord and you encounter him, and it creates a hunger so that you're not satisfied because you want to keep encountering him because that's how good it is, right? You understand that he is present and he's here and that when he's present, anything is possible. There are no limitations. This is how I walked through life after I experienced Brownsville. And what's been happening recently as I've been listening to the music over and over again. In fact, my kids are like, Mom, please, <laughs> you know, stop. Like, it's... You know, it's 90s music, okay? Like, woohoo, yeah, like 90s music. But when I listen to the music, I'm encountering the Lord. I'm remembering. I'm remembering what it was like. I'm remembering when my heart woke to his presence. I'm remembering when I first experienced this moment where I was like, wow, the Lord, like, He's actually here. He's with me. And I had never recognized 
just how real that was before. Like, I remember those things. And as that happens, my fire is starting to burn hotter. I'm starting to have that same awe, that same wonder, and I'm wondering how I ever left it behind. But we walk through life and we get dusty, and our hearts get just a little bit hard. We get distracted. We forget. (laughs) Somehow we forget. But when we tend the fire, this amazing thing happens because it's our heart starts to burn. It gets tender. There becomes awe and wonder in our life. And our eyes begin to see the Lord in places that we wouldn't have noticed him before. Moses was just going about his daily life. The Lord didn't violently interrupt it. Yet, he left an opportunity for Moses to encounter him if he would only turn aside. And I think that's how most encounters with the Lord are. (laughs) Isn't a violent interruption. Those can happen too. But I think they're an invitation to turn aside, that you actually have to pay attention, that you have to tend your heart so that it's burning, so that you recognize When the fire, when something happens, when it tweaks you, when the Holy Spirit's going, hey, hey, look at that. Hey, hey. (laughs) You know, and you can be anywhere. You can be at the grocery store. You can be home. You can be driving. You can be at church. Hopefully that happens at church. (laughs) You know, but you can be going to bed anywhere. If your fire is burning, if you're tending it, the Lord will give us an opportunity to notice his presence, to notice an invitation. And when we do... You never know what's going to happen. And one last passage I want to share, Luke 11, verses 33 and 36. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Now, this was the passage I originally was going to use as my main text. And we were going to go in a completely different direction about having healthy eyes. And I'm not going to do that this morning, but I'm going to tell you, have healthy eyes. Ask the Lord to show you how to do that. But what I want you to know is that if your heart's burning, the fire's going to burn into every corner of your heart. There's going to be no area of your heart or life that's untouched. And this is good news. And you know what? You don't have to like worry that it's going to happen. You don't have to force it to happen all at once. But if you tend to your heart, if you make sure it burns, if you stay connected authentically with the Lord, then you're going to grow hotter and hotter and hotter as time passes. And he's going to go into every single corner of your heart, even the dark ones that you haven't gone into yourself because they're too intimidating. But he will do it because he is a consuming fire. And he will not be content to leave any part untouched. And that's good news, because the result of this is that when we burn, so does the world. (laughs) And I don't mean in destruction. Yes, you can clap for that. That's good news. (laughs) When our hearts burn for the Lord, then so do our lives. 
We don't even have to try. We just live. We live a life that's connected to the Lord. And as we do, we become a beacon calling people home to their father just because they see the Lord because of the light of our lives. So in closing today, I want you to think of someone you know that radiates the light of Jesus. What are they like? Because chances are, it isn't just that they have a list of religious rules or customs that they follow. But there's something more. They actually authentically know the Lord. You know, Jamie's mom was like that. When I was growing up, I had the privilege of knowing her just a little. But looking back, I think she was the first person that I encountered Jesus through. I didn't know I didn't know that's what it was. And I loved Jesus already, but she had something about her that you would come into her presence and there was peace and there was a light and you would encounter the Lord just because of who she was. It wasn't because she was perfect. She didn't even have to be doing anything remotely spiritual, but I loved visiting their house growing up because I loved to talk to her even a little bit because there was something about her that ministered to my spirit. And I know now it was because she carried the light of the Lord. She knew him. There is no doubt. She authentically knew him. That's what I want to be like. You know, I think of my friends Dave and Deb in California. They're pastors out there. You've met them before if you've been here for a while. But that's what they're like. They go through the most difficult things you can imagine. You know, they lost a daughter. And their response in the midst of that, <laughs> they still leaked the presence of the Lord. They were still light in the midst of it because they really knew and know Jesus. You know, so many of you in this room are like this too. I talk to you, and it's not just you that I'm encountering, but I'm encountering the Lord because you, you, are, you glow. You glow. You don't even have to try. To be like this is my sincere hope. Isn't that what you want to be like too? The good news is that it doesn't actually take much. You just need to tend to your heart. You need to take care of the fire. You need to make sure that it continues to burn. You need to be hungry for that. You need to be authentically connected to the Lord. And as you do, he is going to cause a fire in your heart that is going to burn so hot, it's not just going to transform you, it's going to transform the entire world around you. Can you guys please stand? All right, I'm just going to pray. All right. Thank you, Lord, that you're so easy to love. Lord, thank you that you're also easy to find if we take the time to look. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for people like Debbie, like Dave and Deb. I thank you for my friend Teresa, Lord. Thank you for the staff here at the church. Lord, for my husband. 
and my father-in-law, the people who have been in my lives, my own parents, Father, that I've encountered the Lord because they love you. I don't know what your list is, but I encourage you to thank the Lord for those people, whether they're in your life today or they were in your life even just for a moment. The people around us, the people we encounter, they're a gift, and they're given by the Lord so that you can encounter him through you, through them. So, Father, we just thank you. And, Lord, we ask that you would make us those people in other people's lives. That you would give us hearts that are sensitive to your presence. Lord, I ask that you would help us to live with awe and wonder. That we would notice the burning bushes. And that we would turn aside, Father. That we would find you. That we would encounter you and we would be changed. And, Lord, our world needs light. So I thank you for the opportunity to be it. Help our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our jobs, our world to come to know you because of the way we burn for you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the great privilege it is to know you and be known by you. We love you, Lord. And now, Lord, I just want to bless every person in this place, any person hearing these words, Lord, that they would see you this week. Lord, I ask that you would bless their eyes, that you would open them, that they would see you, that they would encounter you, Father, that they would see you as you smile upon them, that they would be filled with joy. Lord, I ask that you would encounter them each day and that their hearts would burn that they wouldn't just grow strangely warm, but that they would start on fire <laughs> for you and that even the darkest corners, Lord, would be consumed by fire for you, now and always. So just thank you, Father. I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Don't forget to stop at the tables on your way out. Bless you guys. See you next week.